Let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. And I know you've been up and down, but again, as you get ready for the word of God to be preached, I think it would be good for us if you can, if it's possible, to just stand one more time. I know we do have some folks visiting with us and also some people that are from out of town. I saw Lois Perkinson was here someplace. She's around, uh, but uh, good. there she is, okay? My own daughter's down from Maine, so it's good. We have a lot of folks that are also visiting other folks uh, this weekend. And I think Camille said somebody was visiting him from out of town. Am I right, Camille? Oh, there you are, family from, great to have you here. Uh, thank you for coming. All right, we're in First Peter. I just want to read the first six verses to us, and we'll get right into the word of God. So First Peter chapter 4. Verses 1 through 6. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation. And they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they might live in the spirit according to the will of God. Let's pray. Our Father in God, once again, we do delight in the opportunity to be here today, as we have said. And what a privilege to have the words that Peter gave to encourage believers in the first century church, to have them here and know that we have the word of God and they are just as practical to us today. And we thank you and praise you that it is not ours to try to rewrite, to rediscover, to imagine our own words, but Father, to be able to open up the word of God and be able to see what it has to say to us. And I pray, Father, you'd guide my heart and mind as I expound the word of God that it might be rightly divided that the Spirit of God would work among us in each and every life, once again, starting with myself, so that we might be convicted, we might be encouraged, and that, Father, we might go out of here changed and ready to serve you. Thank you for this opportunity. We pray these things and ask your blessing in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. And I think you just missed Junior Church, right? If I heard right. All right, we entitled to this morning's message, what should you expect if you are living for Christ? What should you expect? As we have been going through this passage verse by verse, last week we did have the ordination, uh, but uh, two weeks ago, what we have learned is that as believers, we have seen throughout this epistle, we are still living in this world. We are not to be of the world, but obviously, which is obvious in our room right here, we are still here physically. We are still here to live in the world. And so how do we live in the world and then not be conformed to the world? How does this work? 
And while he's been expounding, chapter 4, which is a conclusion of what he's been saying, has been a real help in giving us insight. Because here, Peter has basically said, the way you live in the world and you're not of the world, first of all, is to arm yourself, verse 1. I'm just highlighting verses 1 and 2 here. <clears throat> but he said to arm yourselves. That is, be prepared. And as I said, very appropriate that we're dealing with Memorial Day. Like a soldier is for war. And oftentimes, that's where we begin to go wrong as believers. We just get up, where's the coffee? And if you're not a coffee drinker, where's the juice? Where's my razor? Where's my whatever? Help me not to look in the mirror yet. You know, get me into the shower or whatever. And off we go. We're into our day. Things are going. And then, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to do something religious or whatever. We don't get up in the morning like a soldier does. Soldiers up early in the morning, and they got to be ready, and they got to get in the uniform, even when they're in training. And off they go. they got to be prepared. So we need to arm ourselves. So if you want to have victory, you want to be successful as a believer, you need to arm yourself as a soldier that's ready for war. Every day we get up. You say, this is Sunday. What do you mean war? We are in a war right now. You are in a war sitting there. And we need to see that. And so we need to be prepared for that. How do we prepare for that? Peter told them. He said we prepare by having the same purpose. Look at verse 1. The same purpose or the same attitude as we saw it. The same thinking. That's the idea. We need to think like Christ thinks. Thank, I was thinking, excuse me, was thinking when he was here on earth. Now, he's God. We understand that. But as believers and as a child of God, we need to adapt that thinking. Philippians also says the same thing. We need to have that purpose. We need to have that thinking of Christ. And we broke that down, and this is where we left off. We broke that down and tried to make it practical to you into five points, and we covered the first three, and by God's grace, we'll finish the last two today. And what was it that we saw? The idea of having the purpose or the attitude or the thinking of Christ, uh, what we covered is this, and I'll give them to you, repeat them, and just make a few comments on the first three that we already covered to help us to see where we're at. Number one, we said, know who you are and who you belong to. Jesus Christ knew exactly who he was, and he knew that he was God, and he was from God, and and all of that. We need to realize that if you are a true Christian, you need to realize that every day. Who am I when I get up in the morning? Well, my name is Dan Trepanier. Yes, but really who am I? I am a soldier. Kids talk about that and sing about it when they're young. I am a soldier in the Lord's army. I am off to battle. I belong to God. I have been bought with a price. It was a very expensive price. I have been purchased. Yes, I have heaven. Yes, I belong to God and I will be with him for all eternity. But I am a soldier that's been left here. I am, as Peter has said, an alien. Not like the movie theater. I'm the real alien. I'm an alien to this world. I am a stranger. This is not my home. I own a home. I take time and I try to keep my home up like you do. But this is not a permanent home. It's a temporary home. And too often, right there, Christians lose the battle. We live as though this was it. We live as though our possessions and everything else was all I'm living for. And it occupies our mind, our thinking, and everything about us. 
But if we're gonna have the mind of Christ, we come in here right away every day thinking, this is not permanent. This is not who I am. This is not what I belong to. I'm a stranger here. We are owned and been purchased by God. Secondly, we saw that we need to know who our enemy is. And when I gave the message, this is where I really concentrated. Because all too often, Christians have got the enemy wrong. We're fighting a battle and we're losing because we don't even know who the enemy is. We think it's our neighbors. It is not. I have a new neighbor personally right now, and we've been trying to befriend them, and he's been befriending us. Little language difference, uh, because he, he speaks mostly Spanish, and, and I don't speak any Spanish, or very little, and, and he doesn't speak much English, but we're trying to uh, get a relationship, and actually my daughters get to know him a little bit, and my wife, and we're trying to build something, okay? They are not the enemy. Neither are Christians. And yet, all of our battles sometimes is with our neighbors or with the unsaved people, and we forget that they're just simply sinners that need the grace of God. Who is the real enemy then? We identified it last time, and I need to repeat this as uncomfortable as it's going to be. What is it? First of all, the enemy is our own flesh. It's us. We don't look at it that way. Right now in the pew, the biggest enemy that you're battling is your own mind, your own feeling, and whether or not you're listening to the things of God or your mind is every place else. And whether or not your thoughts are thoughts that are from above or thoughts that are from beneath. The battle is a flesh even as a believer. And so as we get ready to, if we're not ready for the battle and don't realize the enemy just got out of bed in the sense of my own flesh that's going to battle with me, we're going to lose. Secondly, it is the world. But it is not the people of the world. It is not living in the world. It's not owning a house. It's not owning a boat. It's none of that. What it is is the world's philosophy. It is the world's thinking. And it is so saturated Christianity that much of Christianity is thinking like the world. And we've got to get it out. So Christ knew who the enemy was, and we need to know who it is. It is the philosophy, it is the thinking, it is not the unsaved. They need to hear the gospel. They need to be brought to Christ. And thirdly, obviously, it is the devil. So it is our flesh, it is the world, and it's thinking, we need to understand that. And it is the devil, who is our adversary, and is not to be played around with. Even the angels knew that. The angels, even with, as you know the story, with Moses' body, wouldn't even confront. The Lord can take care of you. I have a job to do. I'll take care of that. And didn't joke about the devil. And even Christians sometimes joke about the things that belong either to this world or the devil. So that was number two. Number three, and this is where we finished, was know your assignment, and that's verse two. What is our assignment? I, I need to get pretty, I need to get up in the morning, be armed, and we need to know who the enemy is, because we don't fight that, and we use the illustration in wars, if you don't know who you're shooting at, then you're not going to hit the enemy, you probably hit some friendly fire or whatever it is, so I need to know that, but I also need to know my assignment, because not everybody has the same assignment, even in our military, we have army, we have navy, we have air force, etc., and what, they all have different assignments, 
As my daughter, who was the most recent one to, in our family to get out of the military, while she was in the military, her assignment was she was involved in the medical field. So she would, had to know what her assignment was. And if she didn't, soldiers would die. So we have to know what our assignment What is our assignment? Assignment as believers is to, verse 2, do the will of God, not my will. And we use the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what he said, right, even to the cross. Father, please remove this. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And if we're to have the attitude and arm ourselves like Christ did with that purpose, I need to go into that battle knowing what my assignment is, whether it's on the job, whether it's in the neighborhood, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's with your children, is not to adapt the philosophy of the world in raising children in the way you treat your wife, in the way you do your job. It's not to yield to the flesh so you give in to the sin that would be there. No, it's just the opposite. When I'm confronted with things day in, day out, minute by minute, it is my purpose and assignment is to do the will of God. What would he have me to do in this situation? And that's where we ended off. The last two things that we want to cover with you this morning in this text, verses, so that's verses 1 and 2 that we covered. The last two are verses 3 through 6, and that is, here's the last two points, and it ties into the title this morning, Know what your armor is and what to do with it or how to use it. We need to know what our armor is, okay? Even getting prepared in the morning, we need to know what, what is the armor that we're going to use. And then lastly, know what to expect. Know what you should expect if you're living for Christ. So let's take a look at these two points today as we conclude this text this morning in verses 1 through 6. So let's take a look at it. And I will start us off with this one. Know what your armor is and what you can do with it or know how to use what God has given you. Let me try to illustrate this to you. Keep your finger here. Go back to 1 Samuel chapter 17. You'll be familiar with this. 1 Samuel 17. Let's pick it up in verse 31. 1 Samuel 17, verse 31. Everybody knows David killed Goliath. Yeah, but I want you to see something here that many of you are familiar with. If you pick it up in verse 31, when the words, David's hearing this challenge that's being given to the people and the threats that are going on to the people of God. So he knew who the enemy was. Watch. When they reached David, David uh, spoke, were heard, they told them to Saul. Because David says, who's this guy? Look at, I'll take care of him. And he's a young guy. He's just a kid. Teenager. And they sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him. He knew the enemy was. Your servant, see, is he ready for battle? Yes, he is. He's ready for the things of God. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. I know the enemy is. I know the assignment. I'll go. And Saul says to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine uh, to fight with him. For you are but a youth. While he has been a warrior from his youth. This guy has practiced. He's exercised. He's gone down to all the exercise rooms. He's been working on that equipment. He knows how to use the sword. He's got all the stuff. And he is the macho guy. And he's tall, by the way. This guy, all the basketball teams are looking for him. He's nine foot nine. And they say, and he says, he looks at you and your child. And, you know, you've not even prepared anything. He says, no, no. Watch. He's going to say, I know what my equipment is. I know how to do this. Watch. It goes on and he says, But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending the father's sheep. 
when a lion and a bear, uh, when a lion and a bear came and took the lamb and the flock, and I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and I struck him and I killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since, and here it is, he's taunted the armies of the living God. And David went on to say that this, God is the one that did this. I didn't do it. And so he's now impressing Saul. So uh, David says, the Lord who delivered me, notice that. He knows who he's trying to please. He knows what his assignment is. He knows God's getting insulted. He had the things in proper perspective. And he said, the Lord who delivered me from the power of the lion and from the power of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Where is he looking? He's not looking to all that armor. <coughs> He's not depending upon worldly things, per se. He's ultimately depending upon God. And so, Saul has a bright idea. Saul said to Dave, go. May the Lord be with you. I hope you, I hope you do good. And Saul clothes David with the garments, with his garments, and he puts on a bronze helmet on his head, clothed him with an armor, and David girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk. Can you see this picture? He's got this heavy stuff over it. He can't even walk. And he says, for he had not tested them. So David says, so I can't go with these. Wrong equipment. For I haven't tested them. David took them off and he took a stick in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones. You've got to be kidding me. In the brook. Put them in a shepherd's bag. And he said uh, that he had even in his pouch. And his sling was on his hand as he approached the Philistine. You know the rest of the story. I could have the whole morning on that. But you get the idea. David says, I can't go. That's not the right equipment. Just give me a little rock and a sling. And then he goes and this big soldier sees him and he starts laughing at him. Not only do you send a kid. He doesn't even know what to fight with. And guess who gets the last left? Guess who dies and guess who's going to win? You know the story, right? Well, what about us? You say, that's fine, but how does that apply to us? Our weapons are designed, get this, turn with me to 2 Corinthians 10. Our weapons are designed for the spiritual warfare. And we've got to know that. And I guarantee as you're struggling in life, many of the times you lose the battle is because you're trying to fight it with the wrong armor. David couldn't fight with that sword. He couldn't use that helmet. It wouldn't help him. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, if you're there, 2 Corinthians 10, look at verses 3 to 6 for a moment. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 6. He says this, For though we walk in the flesh, isn't that what Peter's been talking about? We're here, yes. We do not war according to the flesh. You got that, believer? We don't war according to the flesh. Why? Here's the reason, preposition. Verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare, they're not of the flesh. They're not? No. But divinely powerful. Watch that first. Our weapons, folks, if you're going to dress up in the morning and get ready for battle, you've got to put on the right armor. Our weapons are divinely powerful. And when you look at the word here, it is frail by the world's standards. 
They will laugh at it. But they are from God. And they are powerful. They are very powerful. And watch. The weapons that he gives us are not only divinely powerful, for the destruction of fortresses. Our weapons are able to destroy fortresses. And this idea, with this word here, is speculations, lofty things, big things, even thoughts. Our weapons are designed not to punch somebody in the face. Our weapons are designed to get deeper into where people really are. To get right through all of the facade of life. To get down to what's really driving the people. To what's really going on. I read something this week that was rather interesting to me. It was by a doctor. A medical doctor. And he said he was amazed because as he dealt with people over the years, he ran into some Christians and he would say, they would say to him, I'm not afraid of death at all. And the doctor said, I've been dealing with this all my life and I would never want it to be known publicly, though now it is. But he said, I'm frightened of death. Medical doctor. Because deep down inside, he knows. He knows what's going on. What is able to get to that heart? A punch in the face? A physical helmet? A sword that would kill him and put him where he doesn't want to go? What would do it? Hit him with a bat? No, not at all. But the weaponry that God has given us is powerful. It's divinely powerful. It's able to deal with speculations, lofty things. It is able to deal right with where people are. What? The fortresses of this, folks, it is the hearts of people. It is the philosophy of the world. It's false thinking. It is ungodly thinking. It is anti-God thinking. That's the idea. You'll never win a battle if you're trying to attack it with the world's weapons. What's the world's weapons? Success, money, fame, education. Is Pastor Dan putting down money? Is he? No, not at all. God's given us the ability to earn it and to use it. Is he putting down education? Absolutely not. Not if you know me. I'm a person that would strive in, in encouraging people to get an education. But if you're going to attack the world with, with, by the philosophy of education alone, you will lose. And you're not going to get through to their heart. You try dealing with the concept of even evolution and creation just on the basis of education, you will lose. But if you can turn around and say to them, you know what, just as Hebrew said, never mind Genesis. We know that the worlds were created, how? By faith. Because God said it was that way. And we use the word of God. And you can go to a person and say, religion will never save you. And deal with all the philosophies of the world you want. And you're going to get nowhere until you give them the gospel. And they find out that Jesus Christ is the way, truth, and life. And he's the only way. And use the word of God. What is able to penetrate anti-God thinking? What is able to penetrate, penetrate religious philosophy? Anything that's anti-biblical. Only the weapons that God has. It is not buildings. Oh, buildings can be impressive. 
It's not guns. It's not tanks. It's not even theological speculation. There's a lot of people that have degrees in theology that are teaching theology that don't even know the word of God or God himself. You're never going to win the battle that way. And listen, in case you think I forgot about Christians, it is able even to penetrate, and this is why I need the right armor every day for Christians. What are you talking about? Because the battle of the Christian is gossip. The battle of the Christian is complaining. The, the battle of the Christian is lack of submission. The battle of the Christian is not wanting to do things God's way. And we face that every day. And what's going to win that battle in your life and my life? Talking? No. The word of God. And getting it into our lives as well. We need to see that that's the type of weaponry that I need to be used. The one that is able to attack spiritual areas. What are the specifics? Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. You know it. So when I arm myself, I need to make sure I'm using the right equipment. Do you know why unbelievers, in addition to the sovereignty of God, I understand that, and anyone who knows me, I preach the sovereignty of God, but why people don't come to Christ? Well, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Part of the reason is they're not hearing the word of God, they're hearing philosophy. And if they were hearing the word of God and you just simply left that with them, I know I've shared this example with you before, but I'll never forget the day when I was a new believer. I didn't know anything. I really didn't. But I, had the, I really loved this guy that was a mentor in my life, and I had a chance to meet with him for lunch. I was in accounting at the time, and I met with him. And I sat down. I just shared how I got saved, and, and I really wanted to see this person saved. And they, they wouldn't listen, and I didn't know what to do. And so I knew very little scripture, but I knew some. And so I shared John 3.16. And he said to me, and I didn't know much, but he said to me, that's your opinion of the interpretation. And all I could think of, and it worked, was to say to the person, you know what? I've got a Bible right here. Read it for yourself. And I brought him to John 3.16, and I said, and he read it. He read it out loud to me. And I said, now you tell me what it means. Why? It's the word of God that will penetrate. And what happens to believers when we're not walking with God? We're not in the word. Oh, we have our theology. We have all of that. We're really not in the word. And we don't let it take root in our life. Why do you think the psalmist said, I have hidden God's word in my heart, help me, that I might not sin against thee. And why is it that sin comes out in our lives? Because we're not letting the spiritual armor and weaponry work in our lives. That's why. So what is it? Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18. I read it this morning. Notice this. In verse 10, he says, Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. You will never win the Christian battle in your own might. The Christian battle is won in the might of God. It's in might and the strength of God. That's why the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and they're contrary the one to the other. You see, my flesh battles me even as a believer every single day. And it's only as I yield to the spirit of God and God has his way in my life that I can even win my spiritual battle today. And it's true in your life. And I stand strong in God's strength. And you notice this. Then he says, put on the full armor of who? 
God. That's the armor that I need to put on. I need to put on God's armor. Not that of the world, not that of my own thinking, not that of the devil. And it's equipped to defeat the unseen. Notice this. Notice this. This is what really tears down fortresses. He says, so that you will be able to stand firm against, watch, the schemes of the devil. For our struggle, look at folks, get this, is not against flesh and blood. You say, I've got this neighbor that's the biggest adulterer that there is. That's fine in the sense that I understand that, but they need Christ. He's just doing what comes natural to him in a sense. He's just a sinner that needs the gospel. No matter what the sin is. Somebody committed murder. They need the gospel of Christ. Our battle isn't against that. It's against the philosophy. It's against what goes on. Look at what he says. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness, that which is anti-God, that which goes against God, and it's in heavenly places. I never cease to be amazed, and I often try to help my own life this way. We don't know what's going on in the unseen world, and you don't right now. Do you realize that according to the book of Ephesians, right now the angels are watching this auditorium and learning about God as they watch Christians react? That's what Ephesians says. Do you know that Daniel one time prayed, and for three days he didn't get an answer? Not because God didn't want to answer him right away. It was because the angel explains, it took me three days to get here because I was fighting a battle that you didn't know about. And it took me three days to get to you. God answered you immediately. We don't see it. We don't see the, the unseen world. How are you going to defeat that world every day by putting on physical armor? You're not. We have to put on the armor of God. Neither am I. So what do we need to do? He goes on in this passage quickly. Are we ever going to get back to 1 Peter, Pastor Dan? Yeah, we are. Okay. Uh, but it's against these forces. Notice what he says. Therefore, he starts off, take up the full armor of God. What does he say? Listen carefully, believer. He says, take your responsibility. It is your responsibility to get in the fight. Too many Christians are losing the battle because they're getting beat up and they're listening to things. They're not in the fight for Christ. What do you mean? It says to stand. I am to stand against anything that is untruth. I am to stand against anything that's anti-God. I am to stand against wickedness. I am to do that. You are to do that. We need to get in the battle. He said, therefore, put it on. Take it on. The full armor of God. So that you'll be able to resist the evil day. And having done everything, notice he comes right back to it, to stand. Now, what does that mean? I mentioned it to you last week, and I'll say it again. What happens to a soldier when he's ready to battle? What has happened that has made it possible for us to be in the United States of America to have the freedoms that we have. And yes, I know we're losing some freedoms and all of that. But what has gotten us to the point even today? People have sacrificed their lives. Do you know why you have this book in your language? Because men of God stood 
and lost their lives so that we could have this book. What is it? A soldier must be willing to die. If you're not willing to die, you won't face the battlefield. And there are soldiers that when they're put into the real battlefield, that's what happens. They put on some armor, but they really weren't prepared in their hearts, and they got scared and they wanted to run and retreat. Or they wouldn't go out. Or they wouldn't follow through. Or they wouldn't use their armor. I'm not one to, to mention movies from the pulpit, but some of you have probably seen as probably appropriate private, Saving Private Ryan. One of the things that always stood out in that movie was there was a guy that had all of the bullets and somebody was right inside and he'd lost his life because this guy had the bullets and wouldn't bring them to him. Right outside the door. Didn't, wasn't ready to face the battle. We're not ready to be criticized, as we'll see in just a moment, by our neighbor. We're not ready to turn around to that Christian and say, I don't need to hear this. Are you sure? We're not ready to turn around when the Christian says, I, I, I don't want to hear about it. How's your walk with the Lord? Well, I, 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 do you have time for devotions today? You want to talk about that? Because that really gets to where my life is. Oh, you know, look at this is wrong in my life. That's happened in my life. How's your walk with the Lord? Yeah, I, I pray to the Lord. We're not ready to stand. We need to take up our cross daily, and that is a death instrument. If we're going to have the thoughts of Christ, even to the extent, according to Ephesians and the Gospels, when he said, nevertheless, not my will, thy will be done, even to the extent of not just the physical crucifixion, but even if it means the separation because I bear the sin penalty. I will do it. That's your will. And we stand here because people have sacrificed their lives. Christians, we have the word of God because of that. I need to be ready to die. And very quickly, just six pieces of armor. I'm only going to touch upon them. But it, what are they? He says very clearly, having done everything to stand, he says, put on your loins, with, uh, having girded your loins with truth. This is the first thing. Second thing he says, breastplate of righteousness. And what does he also say? Having the sh your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And it is the gospel of peace. That is what's able to penetrate people's hearts. That is what's able to get into their thoughts and into where they really live and into their fears and into their concerns. It is the word of God, which means I need to know what it is. We'll get to that. These things were generally always on the soldiers, by the way, these, some of these things they're talking about. And then he says, in, as he goes on, names three more. He says, in addition, taking up the shield of faith. What is it that's going to defeat people? Philosophy? Education? No. My faith. Yeah, well, that's your faith. Yeah, and it's a lot solider, a lot solid ground than yours because God says that he created. You say it's a big bang and it has no basis whatsoever. It is the word of God. You say that it's fine for people's rights and abortion's okay. The word of God says it's murder. And you can go into every area of life, in every area that we are to do that. You say it's okay to run around. The Lord says it's adultery. It's fornication. 
And the only way I know that is by knowing the word of God. And I rest on my faith. My salvation every day. That's what it says. So we're able to get those dots by faith. We're to put on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is what? The word of God. That's my weapon. It's the word of God. It's not my philosophy. So I need to know. And let me get to the final point. It's today. Go back to Peter for a second. Back in 1 Peter chapter 4, our, what we saw is we are not to, we're to cease from sin, verse 1. We're to do the will of God. We're not here for the lust of men, verse 2. And in order to do that, I need to know what my weapons are, not only in the battle, but I need to know what to put on. And the last part of it is verses 3 through 6. I know, I need to know what to expect. What should I expect if I'm living for Christ? What should I expect if I'm putting on the armor and I'm facing the battle? Here it is, verse 3. For the time has already passed and sufficient that you have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued the course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousings, drinking parties, and the abominable, abominable idolatries. What is it? That was my past. Listen carefully. Believers, don't live in the past. That should be true with everybody, by the way, believer or unbeliever. There's too many guys that have never grown up because they're living in their glory years. Which the more you find out, they weren't as glorious as you think they were. There's many of us that had great victories in the past, and we'll talk about those victories. How about today? Because you won that battle doesn't mean that there's not going to be a bullet coming down in this battle, and it gets you because you weren't ready. We need to be ready. We had a past Anyone who's come to Christ, that maybe it wasn't all of these things, but living in immorality, drunkenness. These words are pretty strong. It's dealing with orgies. It's dealing with drinking parties. And it distinguishes between drunkenness and, and drinking parties. Drunkenness is the sin. But those things were of the world. Idolatry. And he says, that was part of your past, but you've been called out of that. Don't go back there. Too many Christians want to go back to an old life. And the longer you're a Christian, the easier it is to go back. You say, how's that possible? Because the walk is not getting stronger like it should be. And remember, the enemy's not, that's why even in some of the things that we've taught in this church, sometimes think, people think the enemy is a set of drums. The enemy's not the set of drums. That's all mixed up. The, the enemy's not having money. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. The, the enemies aren't your neighbors. The enemy isn't clothes. Of course you could wear nice clothes, whatever it is. We got it all wrong. We're fighting the wrong battles. We're looking in the wrong places. But don't go back to your past. In Ephesians chapter 2, because of time I won't turn there, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, that's where the apostle Paul just like Peter, he says, before you were saved, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead. And we all had that former past life. But now, by the mercies of God, you've been brought to Christ. That's what he goes on and says. So live for Christ now. Don't go back there. You know what? That's also true of Christians. Many Christians want to go back and dwell on the past. That's also true here. Right here. I was in North Andover. 
I'm now in Methuen. And there's some that go back, oh, and things in North Andover, yeah, God used it mightily. But you live there, and you won't be living for Christ today. You live now. You live what Christ is doing. What's he doing in your life? Well, I was used to save 45 people in the past. How many has the Lord used you in the past week? I used to witness to everybody and go door to door and knock on the... How are you doing it now? I used to read the word of God every day. How often do you read it now? Boy, I saw a great victory in my life. I saw these people come to Christ. How about now? We want to go back to the past. Don't live there. Don't live there. So that's what he's starting off in verse 3. We had all of those sins. And by the way, let me just say this. For the sake of the believer, not the, the unbeliever, that's his life. That's what he expects. He lives for sin because he knows nothing else. He's, according to Romans, bound by sin in that sense, unless God penetrates his heart. But why do Christians go back to sin? Let me tell you five quick points, if I can, this morning. One, because sin is pleasurable. It is. It is. Hebrews says it. Hebrews chapter 11. It's the pleasures of sin for a moment. No matter what it is. Now, we think always sexually. And that is true. But if you go in sin sexually for a moment, that's all it is. It's a moment, and then you regret it, and your conscience will beat you to death. But you know what? The sin of gossip's the same way. You know what? The sin of not loving your wife is the same way. The sin of not taking the moment to bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord is the same way. For that moment, there's the pleasure of not doing what you're supposed to be doing and not worrying about, you know, you're just concerned about the people around you. And so what happens, and what happens in my life, because sin is pleasurable for a moment, we give in. And then afterwards, we regret it. Secondly, I would suggest the reason we go back is because of the honest struggle that we've seen. What is that? Whether or not we know whether something's right or wrong. That's an honest struggle. I have to be open with you as a pastor. You've got to be kidding yourself if you think that you don't have some situations in your life. That, is it sin? Is it not sin? We all have some areas. It's just not clear. And with that honest struggle, we try to struggle how to handle them, and oftentimes we give in. Then the third one is the battle we've already seen. And by the way, that's all over Scripture. 1 Corinthians 8 is an example of that especially in the area that we call Christian liberty. And we're judging everybody else's liberty. And we're, we're worried about this, we're worried about that, and we can't get the concept into us that's in 1 Corinthians 8 where he said to some people this is sin, to someone else it's not. Because we think it's sin for us, so it's got to be sin for them. And we struggle with that. It's an honest battle. Third one is our own flesh. We battle with it every day. I've put that out to you so I won't spend any more time on it. We do. It's a struggle to do what's right or do what's wrong, and I lose it every day, and don't tell me you don't either. I wish I was perfect. I'm only perfect in Christ, and I will be perfect with all the sin gone when I'm in his presence, and that is true for you. And the battle will go there in your life, and it's always easy to see the other soldiers losing and forget to pick them up. The fourth one, is we're tempted to conform 
because of what people might think of us. You know, Don's not going to like this, but you sit I'm up in front, Don, so I'm going to use you, if you don't mind. But if I was talking with Don and Don said something to me, and that Don not only has served as an elder, he's a friend, uh, we've done things as a family together, but he, and, and, and if he said something to me, and the right thing for me to say is, Don, you're wrong. Don, you're in sin. Rather than do that, there is the honest pressure to turn around and say, yeah, maybe, because I'm afraid of what Don's going to think of me. And that's an honest pressure that's in every one of our lives. And that causes us to fall into sin. We haven't got the guts to stand. I'm talking about me. Talking about you. We haven't got the guts to stand up and say, that is wrong, I want none of it. And the pressure that comes from others to conform. So what's going to happen? He says, and go back to the passage. When you get away from that life, what should you expect? Your neighbors to jump on the bandwagon and say, great, that's terrific. No, verse 4. First thing that's going to happen is, in all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation. That's the first thing. When you start living for Christ and you start doing what's right, whether that be with a believer or unbeliever, they will be surprised that you don't follow them. It's the first thing. They'll be shocked. Why? Because the normal thing is to go along with sin. And over the course of time, you will lose, quote, unquote, friends. Anyone in this room that has come to Christ, I'm sure there were people that were your friends before you got saved that right now don't want anything to do with you because you're trying to live for Christ. There are some of that. What should you expect differently? Did everybody flock themselves to Christ? Yeah, until he pointed out, yeah, you're not following me because of who I am. You're following me because I got bread and I fed you. That's putting it right the way it is, right? Or he turned around and said, uh, Master, teacher, we know that you've come from God. You need to be born again. How can that happen? Or he turned around and said to the woman at the well, you need the water that's uh, going to spring up in your life for everlasting life. Where do I get that water? Well, go get your husband's. I don't have a husband. You're right, but you've been married five times. Ooh, whoa, 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 whoa. Right? I'm of, your, I'm of my father Abraham. No, you're not. You're of the devil. Wow. What happens? They didn't want anything to do with him then. They didn't want anything to do with him when he did a miracle and he cast out demons. And people were more concerned because the swine went in and drowned. Get him out of here. Right? If you live for Christ, you're going to be, you shouldn't be surprised that people want nothing to do with you. And then secondly, what is that? Look at the verse. They not only don't want anything to do with them because they don't want to run into their sin. And if you're afraid of, and that's what I said, if you're afraid of what they're going to think of you, you will follow. But if you're willing to stand and put in the armor of God, you'll be able to resist. Very quickly, then it says, and they malign you. They malign you. They blaspheme. They slander. They defame. That's what the word of God says. You don't want anybody defaming your reputation. But we'll be quick to defame someone else's. 
And that's what they will do. All of a sudden, old acquaintances or friends, co-workers, even family. Has that happened to any of you? Even family? First of all, we're surprised that you don't live that way anymore. And then they become your, what? Persecutor. Enemy, yeah? Rather than being, wanting to come along with you, now they start to be, they, they talk about you. Have you ever had any unsaved do that? Yeah, they, I remember when Dan used to be the fun of the party and he used to, now he doesn't, he doesn't want to get involved in this. He doesn't want to get involved in that. That's how it starts. And what type of comments come out? They've found religion. They're no fun anymore. They have a holier-than-thou attitude. Sometimes believers do, by the way. What's going to happen? You will be maligned. Did Christ get maligned? Yes. What do we learn already? Christ said that the student's not above the teacher. If they attack the teacher, they're going to attack you. They persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. You can expect that. That's part of this battle, folks. Arm yourselves with God's equipment, with God's armor. Face the battle. Stand. And let your focus be on him. Let the focus be on pleasing Christ. Let your focus be not on the past, but on what Christ is doing, and it leads into the last part of the passage, and that is the future. And by the way, that's appropriate for this time of the year and what we're celebrating this weekend. Why? Thank God that people had the focus that someday we would be free, and they were willing to sacrifice their life that we would have the freedom. They look beyond. Verses 5 and 6, they'll give account. People will give account. And by the way, unbelievers, first of all, they will give an account because Christ will judge the living and the dead. They will answer to him. So keep your focus. Be living for Christ. Be moving on for Christ. And we ought to take our stand. But believers, we will also face the judgment seat of Christ in the sense of our works being evaluated and lastly verse 6 verse 6 is a tough verse it says for the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead that though they are judged in the flesh as men they may be alive in the spirit according to the will of God let me tell you what the verse doesn't mean first of all it is not dealing with a second chance some people have interpreted verse 6 to say see Christ gives a second chance he preaches to those who are dead and hopefully they become alive. I don't think so, not in the context. But what is he dealing with? He's been encouraging believers all throughout the book. And as he's been encouraging them to take a stand, I think he's dealing with believers in verse 6 as well. And the fact, the best that I can see it, uh, are potentially even believers. What has happened is the gospel is what needs to be preached. And it needs to be preached because those who are dead, they, they might be judged by the flesh as men. And they will be. But once you believe the gospel, you are alive in the spirit according to the will of God. Some have taken it that is dealing with believers, but people that have been dead as believers, and now they're rejoicing. I just think his focus is, again, on believers that are alive. That that's why we need the gospel, to preach to people who are physically dead? No, spiritually. And they'll be judged by men also when they come to Christ. However, they will live with God according to the will of God for all eternity, and that needs to be our focus, which is the whole point of chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. What is it? Keep your eye on your job. Arm yourselves. Put on the equipment. I'll summarize it this way. 
We need to arm ourselves every day. We need to set our thinking on things above, not on this world. We need to know what our assignment is. It is to please God. We need to use our weapons. But in order to use our weapons, we need to know what they are, the spiritual weapons. And don't worry about losing friends. Don't worry about the rejection of the world. Don't worry about that. Worry about pleasing the one who called you to the service. And that's God. You know, friends are like Facebook. And I don't know a lot about Facebook. As my family knows, I don't even have a Facebook account. I'm one of the people of the ancient world. Why? I always get amazed. How many friends you got on Facebook? 235. How many friends you got in real life? My oldest son has a great shirt. I love it. It says, if your life was only as good as you make it look to be on Facebook. And I'm not put, trying to put Facebook down, but the point is, those aren't real friends. Real friends, folks, are the people that are going to stand with you. They're going to stand behind you. They're going to lift you up when you're down. They're going to want to serve Christ. They're going to want to please him. And above all, even if it means your life, be willing to, as a soldier, let Christ do with you as he will, even if your life is going to be taken because you can look to a glorious future, as that verse ends in, in verse 6, of living with him for all eternity. And then you will see the glory of having walked with God and lived for him. Soldiers, fellow soldiers, let's face the battle. Not in our own strength, but in the strength and power of his might with his armor that we might have victory day by day. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for the word of God. I know it penetrates my heart. Father, so often we live for the world and by your grace, through the word of God, you penetrated our own hearts and brought many in this room to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Father, there could be in this auditorium others who still don't know Christ who need to understand that you love them so much that you sent your son, that he bore the penalty and price of sin. That by faith in him, they can have forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. Father, as believers, help us to face the battle not with our own philosophies. Help us to be honest with ourselves. Right here, wherever we're sitting, where are we with you? Where are we in this battle? Have we made this place our home? Are we thinking on things above? Are we using your armor day by day? Father, you know we're weak. Forgive us where we've gone wrong and help us to stand. And having done all to stand, help us when we're rejected or maligned by the world not to cave in, but to use your armor that we might continue to fight for the things of God. We thank you, but it's not by our power, but by the Spirit of God working through us. And help us, Father, to look for fellow soldiers that are down and help us to pick them up. Help us to be the medics who heal, to bring them the word of God, to strengthen and encourage, that we might be the force in this world, though rejected by the world, that will be a shining light for Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. 
Amen. If you will, turn to number 478.